0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 199, Non-Performative Yoga and Divine Feminine. You might not see right off the bat the link between those two things, but we'll get to it, I promise. If you've always felt like yoga was less about doing and more about being, today's episode is for you. And if you've been curious about how to embody the divine feminine more, we'll start from that place of being, and then we'll dive right in with our lovely guest of today. For today's episode, I sat down with Abiola Akani. Abiola is a leader in the field of yoga. She has cultivated non-performative spaces that encourage individuals to use the practices of yoga and mindfulness to enhance their life and their body. The Nigerian-American emotional intelligence coach supports high-achieving women of color navigating through high-functioning anxiety, and she's also the founder of AYA, a non-performative yoga school. Abiola is committed to sharing evidence-based practices to help individuals soothe their nervous system and gain emotional mastery so they can navigate through life from a more empowered state of being. In addition, she's committed to sharing the practice of yoga beyond the poses to disrupt the Western world performative approach and to invite communities of color onto their mat in a way that feels more aligned with their values. If this episode helps you in any way, share it and help someone else on their journey. Leave a review on iTunes for them to find the episode of the podcast in general. It really, truly helps. Or share your takeaways on social media. I really love to read your takeaways on the episode. So as you take a screenshot of the episode and share something you've learned, make sure to tag at on and off your mat podcast or at erica.belonger. All right, if you're ready for your practice to feel more freeing and more aligned, let's get to today's episode with Abiola. Hi, Abiola. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Erica. I'm happy to be here. So for listeners that don't know you very well, I'm sure many of them know you already a little bit. Can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey? I know that Bai Biola started from a place of you telling a story of healing and a desire of liberation. So I would love to know a little bit what you feel comfortable sharing about that story of healing and how it brought you where you are today.
1: Yeah. So my name is Abiola Akani. I am the founder of the Non-Performative Yoga School, IYA, which means Mother in Yoruba. I'm actually from Nigeria, and I'm also an emotional EQ coach for high-achieving women of color who are experiencing high-functioning anxiety. And my yoga journey started, I would say, over 10 years ago when I was trying to learn how to navigate through my own hypersensitivity and neurodivergence that I didn't really know or wasn't really diagnosed until much later, as well as my complex PTSD. And ultimately, those things at a young age, having those experiences led me to abuse substances at a very young age. And I was drawn to practicing yoga. During college, I had gotten a car accident and I've always been an athlete. I ran track for several years. I played women's rugby in college. This accident really took me out and kind of exacerbated some things and I wasn't really able to play anymore. I wasn't able to run. I wasn't able to be very athletic. And I also got prescribed a lot of prescription opioids, which I naturally abused. So my roommate at the time suggested that I try yoga as something to kind of help my physical body because I was experiencing a lot of discomfort. I tried the practice, I tried the traditional Bikram practice because that was really popular at the time, and it did something uh, different. It unveiled a part of myself that I hadn't seen, a worthiness in me that I hadn't seen that gave me the confidence or gave me the tools I needed to slowly move into sobriety, Because at that time, I had been utilizing substances as a crux for a deep insecurity, for my hypersensitivity, you know, some things that led to a lot of trauma. And I didn't ever see feel like there was a way out. I also, I literally thought my way through that or out of that trauma was through abusing substances, felt like a solution. And yoga revealed, not the practice revealed that it was the solution, but it revealed aspects in me that gave me some confidence in myself that I'd never had. And over time, tools to kind of navigate through some of that trauma, to regulate my nervous system, expand my self-concept, how I viewed myself, to really become aware of the beliefs that I had about myself, which were very self-deprecating at the time, So it started to help me cultivate a self-inquiry practice to kind of see into myself and begin to alchemize a lot of that denser energy. And that's what led me to have a practice and utilize the practice in that way. And so in 2020, I founded my online yoga school, IA. And the reason why I termed it EYAH is because my practice allowed me to kind of remother my body. Also, the way the practice has been perpetuated in western society has been very performative over the years I've had the incredible privilege of you know teaching as an alo moves coach I've taught various programs for alo over the years I've taught nike yoga I've been in major magazines I was in strong fitness magazine I've written programs for strong fitness magazine So I've been been in these very commercial places, commercial yoga spaces, and it's always been really focused on poses and postures that most folks, I don't think, really care about in a certain way. They just want to feel good and well in their bodies, especially the population that I'm serving, which are mostly people of color who are drawn away from the practice because of the hyper-focus on performative poses. Going back to my experience utilizing yoga to navigate through hypersensitivity and substance abuse, it wasn't also the asana that helped me do that. It was the deep meditative aspects of the practice and pranayama that I, you know, learning about my nervous system and how to navigate through and the philosophy and the eight limbs and trying to cultivate a lot more mindfulness. It was the asana allowed me to travel into my body, but ultimately the practice beyond the poses is what has really allowed me to sustain a lot of the things that I've used to navigate through. So I wanted to cultivate a space or a yoga school that focused on a non-performance, that provided an index of the practice beyond the postures with the understanding that the community that I'm serving are not always going to be attracted to the poses and they're not going to be attracted to crazy power vinyasa. They're going to come for more restorative, more yin and ultimately practices to take the practice off of the mat. They are wanting to utilize yoga as a tool to navigate through a lot of high stress, high activation, hypersensitivity, dysregulation in their nervous system, living in survival mode, and that's not always going to be best served by asana. So ultimately, that is why I founded my yoga school, IA. And continue to serve, you know, women of color who are experiencing high functioning anxiety by providing and sharing the tools of yoga and mindfulness in that way.
0: Hmm. That's incredible. That is so useful. And I'm glad that you're (laughs) taking this path and you're showing up in this way because we don't need more of the performative for sure. Can you tell our listeners what makes a practice non-performative? You've already said a few things. You talked about we're looking beyond asanas, there's self-inquiry. You mentioned a lot of different things that maybe we can package into like emotional kind of intelligence work and taking it off the mat. Am I missing what else might be in a practice that is focused on the non-performative aspects of yoga?
1: Yeah. So the non performative yoga is the practice beyond the poses for sure, but it's ultimately the practice for deep nervous system regulation. That's the focus of non performative yoga because performance puts the body in fight or flight. A lot of communities of color are in fight or flight
0: already. Yeah.
1: They don't need more of it. Mm-hmm. All of the time, you know, we're always operating in high states of survival. So moving out of performance, moving to To a place of non performance where I'm not trying so hard to prove something is ultimately what it's about to kind of guide the body back to its rest and digest center to the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm,
0: I love this. There's a part of it that's like reconnecting with what you truly need instead of doing what you think you should do, like getting out of the head and into the body beyond the asana practice, but in a way that's more intuitive. I would say, like truly listening in, you know, and then meeting yourself where you are in that way, and I think that's lovely.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we break down. Performative yoga has seven elements. One of the elements is self inquiry. Another one is self agency. So if I'm in a state of hyper vigilance because I'm in survival and I'm in fight or flight, I tend to abdicate my position of agency, and of course, you know, I don't feel really autonomous in my body, and so. Given folks permission to have agency when they're on the mat and the postures, but also have to have greater agency to know that I have the tools that I need to navigate through states of high activation and high stress is extremely empowering, especially for, for folks of color. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think when we're not focused on performance and asana only, it opens the door to richer practices and richer teachings as well. And so I want to pivot into the emotion, the self-love, the divine feminine, which are all things that you teach also through the practice. And I might be making this up. So you correct me, but I don't know if it was intentional, but I feel like performative asana-based yoga often feels more masculine in energy and maybe because it was meant for men originally. But when we move away from the performative energy, the doing achieving the hierarchy energy, I feel like maybe we're moving more naturally in towards the feminine energy. And like the fact that the school is called, it translates to mother. There's a lot of things that I see kind of coming in that are very feminine. So I wanted to know if that's intentional, if it's all coming together, if I'm just kind of seeing things. <laughs> no, no, it was very intentional. I think as someone who's
1: also high achieving and experiencing hypersensitivity and high functioning anxiety, there were times where I was often operating oftentimes in my masculine from that fight or flight mode, from that fight or fight. Response center from deep survival. I was constantly trying to protect myself from my external world, as opposed to being in a receptive state. And when I started to realize, man, like I really want to be in my feminine and be able to sustain my power and be there and be in a receptive state, that is when I really started to focus on deep nervous system regulation work. And so, me calling it mother and utilizing the practices, mindfulness practices, yoga practices, to remother my body. Have been really intentional. It's indicative of the work that I've done to really start to abide in my own divine feminine energy and to feel safe being there, in addition to hosting the divine feminine yoga workshop for, you know, other women of color who are oftentimes in high performance, hyper-individualism, hyper-independence from deep states of survival. Which kind of leads us to unhealthy partnership, unhealthy marriages, or modes of deep isolation where we're not married and we're not partnered. And so that's ultimately why I created that workshop, because I know what it's like to be in that space and I know how much we need it.
0: Yeah. So for people or women listening that are like... (sighs) what does it feel like? Like I've been so in my masculine, what does it feel like to embody divine feminine and how can they know what's the target is kind of what I'm asking. Like where do they go towards? That's a good question. That's a good question. So the main thing
1: when it comes to your divine feminine energy, we are looking for receptivity. The divine feminine is characterized by receptivity. So, what you want to think about, are you in a truly receptive state or are you in a state of hypervigilance or fight or flight where you're constantly protecting and resisting? Now, resistance comes in many forms. Resistance can be someone pushing, you're pushing something away, but control is also a form of resistance, Hyper controlling, like I need to create as much predictability in my life as possible to reduce the amount of harm that's coming towards me. That's a state of hypervigilance. So control is resistance. Pushing something away is resistance. Manipulating, manipulation is resistance. You're just resisting the way how something can come to you, which means you're not in a really receptive place. So to be in your divine feminine is reception. I'm like, I'm in the moment. I'm sensual. So I'm having an experience with my sensory body. I'm noticing when I'm touching, when I'm smelling, when I'm seeing, when I'm feeling And sensuality is indicative of being in the present moment. So I'm not lamenting about the past. I'm not worrying about the future. I'm in my sexual body through my five senses. It's fluid. So when I'm being present in the moment, I have the privilege of being able to slow down. Like I can slow down. There's not a lot of urgency. A lot of things need to be done. I'm not putting something down while I'm picking something up at the same time. So I'm literally more receptive to what's happening in the moment in my physical body as well as in my emotional body. And for that reason, because I'm in this receptive state, I feel lightness. I feel lighter. There's not a lot of density energetically. I'm tending to my emotions as they come, which is allowing the prana to move fluidly through my body so I don't feel like stuck energy in a lot of places. And that lightness, that receptiveness creates a little bit more room for play, more room for ease. So it just creates more room because you're able to take things in. You're not fighting something or pushing something away. So you're just able to receive what's coming towards you. And it creates more of a reciprocal energy with other people, with relationships flow more easily because. It's a reciprocal energy that's happening. I'm giving and I'm receiving, I'm giving and I'm receiving, and it feels nurturing, it feels fulfilling. So there's just more of a receptive state that that you're in. There's a fluidity that happens as a result of that.
0: I know I have struggled with, and I'm sure other highly, I was going to say productive, that's not (laughs) highly achieving women, have struggled with that as well. So I want to pick your brain on this. The idea that if we're more in our feminine and less in our masculine, then we'll be less productive, less successful. How do we stay high achieving women and stay in our divine feminine? Can we do both? Yeah, absolutely. I think
1: as high achieving, especially if you're experiencing high functioning anxiety, it's just that you're often in your masculine because you're in a state of survival. You're in a state of hyper, like fight or flight. And so it doesn't really feel safe to receive much of anything that you can't control. So you can absolutely balance both and you can absolutely be productive in your feminine. What's nice about the feminine is that you can stop producing so much and stop proving so much and start to consciously create, which is one of the things I tell my clients. When you are in a state of, rest and digest center in your parasympathetic nervous system you can like really slow down and consciously create and that's where you want to be that's where you want to be achieving not from a state of hyperproduction which is going to exhaust you and you can't really receive a lot and reception is what cultivates greater success and fulfillment it's not more producing right and so it's about kind of noticing where am I kind of excessively producing and achieving because my worthiness is tied up in what I can do and navigating kind of out of that and cultivating a worthiness and kind of who you are and your ability to cast out a desire and meet it. Like I can have the things that I want and intuitively trust that you can have those things. That's where worthiness is cultivated. Falsified worthiness is cultivated by trying to produce something. I need to produce something to fill up this space, this desire that I have and where I am, because I don't really believe that I can have it. I'm going to over-effort to get it, so I'm falsifying my worthiness. That's hyper-masculine. It's also just hyper-resistant. So you can absolutely have both, and you can have it without trying so damn hard.
0: It's so difficult to get yourself out of that space when you're so accustomed to being in your masculine, to trust and to believe that if you don't effort as hard, things are still going to come to you. So, do you have favorite practices for women that want to start embodying a bit more their feminine, but that are highly achieving and want to continue to be highly achieving, whether it's nervous system based or? anything that helps you become more receptive, what is your go-to for yourself or when you teach?
1: Yeah, and just before I answer that, I want to say I definitely understand. I know it's easier said than done. (laughs) I know because I experience it myself every single day and I have to use my practices to remind myself to slow down and stop trying so hard. And trying so hard is ultimately... And trying to fill up that space is what led me to utilize substances the way I did in the first place. So before, you know, you criticize yourself for where you are, I want to kind of slow you down, you know, reduce the criticism, reduce the judgment, know that you're not alone in feeling that way. The number one tool, first thing, well, two tools. First thing is you want to start to soothe your nervous system and you want to regulate your nervous system. That's extremely important. Like, it's not like a flowery thing. And what I try to do also for a lot of my clients is a lot of the times in communities of color, we have these big ambiguous terms, self-care, self-love, ease, all these pretty things. And they're big and ambiguous and empty because there's not really conversations and support utilized about what are the tools I actually use to have greater emotional care. And the first tool is nervous system regulation, soothing your nervous system not to bypass your emotions but just start to navigate through them. So when it comes to nervous system regulation, because the breath is tied to the nervous system, you want to utilize pranayama practices, any type of pranayama practice or, you know, different types of pranayama practice to start to soothe your nervous system when you're in those states of high activation, high stress or fight or flight. So. Just starting to notice when you feel yourself getting anxious or stressed or overwhelmed, inquire and notice in the moment, like, how am I breathing? And how can I start to slow my breath down so that I can move back into my rest and digest center and kind of calm my body down to reduce the urgency and make a decision and make an action from there, not from the high activation place. So utilize pranayama to kind of calm yourself down, soothe your body, guide yourself back to your parasympathetic nervous system, and then take an action from that state. The second thing, which we all hear of all the time, is meditation. But the way I learn meditation, the way that meditation is best supported, that I've learned from my Buddhism teachers, is that oftentimes the way you learn meditation from a really kind of shallow perspective is to control the thoughts. Or to stop the thoughts from happening. You can't resist the thoughts. And the reason why is like the mind is perfect. The mind is absolutely pristine in its nature. It's perfect in its nature. There's nothing wrong with the mind and there's nothing wrong with the body. What you're experiencing is the thoughts. That you have are from conditioning or conditioning that you've received from society figures, authority or family figures, and they create veils of disillusion or veils of illusion where you stop perceiving that you are a whole being. That's the first yogic truth. Yoga says you are whole. You are lacking nothing. You are missing nothing. It's that you've forgotten yourself. So meditation cultivates the ability to not control your thoughts, but to observe them and to ultimately accept them so you can deep, utter acceptance to the point where you transcend the thought itself and the transcendence, how that kind of manifests in the physical body is like, once I stop fighting the fact that I have this thought or fighting this thing and I just accept it. I kind of unveil what's true, what actually still remains beyond the thought, the truth, the thing that is real reveals itself. And the revealing of what's actually true, like beyond that thought creates another emotion because those conditionings and those old thoughts, those narratives, those thoughts create emotions that have physical manifestations in the body. Unworthiness comes with its own emotions and physically manifests in the body. If I accept this thought and this sensation, then I start to discern what's actually true, what's actually present beyond it. And I get the fruit of that, which is a whole different emotion, a whole different experience. Utilizing meditation in that way, meditation for complete and utter acceptance, not to control my thoughts, but to completely accept them, stop trying to push so much away. Those are the two tools I suggest and. I highly recommend starting with. And asana. Asana is really great for preparing the body to do those two things to breathe and meditate.
0: Yeah. And I think also asana prepares you to listen because it reconnects you with the basic physical sensations. And when it comes to meditation, when it comes to your thought, your emotions, you have to be able to listen, right? If we're stopping that resistance, we're stopping the control, we're getting into that receptive mode, you're listening. That's the main action you're doing, you're listening. And from there, we worked on the acceptance. For sure. Definitely puts you in a receptive mode, receptive state, for sure. hmm And I love how that practice of meditation also can translate into befriending your emotions because oftentimes when we tend to be in our masculine, when we tend to be highly sensitive, when we tend to be high achieving, there's a lot of control on our emotions, right? Because that helps us get the stuff done. <laughs> For sure. Acceptance of the thought might be an easier step than acceptance of the emotion. And that might kind of come down the line of like, wow, I'm feeling deep sadness and I'm just going to sit with that. Or I'm feeling deep shame and I'm going to sit with that. Like sitting with the thought first might be easier than actually feeling this physical sensation of that emotion, but it's a nice bridging that we can do from one to the other. For sure. Well, and the
1: thing is that our thoughts produce the emotions we have. So if you have a certain patterning of mind or mental patterning, It produces the emotions that you're experiencing. So if you accept the thought and transcend the thought, the emotion changes. You won't necessarily be experiencing that same emotion. You'll have a different emotion, but it is a practice. And so it can be more challenging, actually, to accept the thought when you start to inquire what you actually believe about yourself that's producing that emotion, Hmm. which... Does not really look pretty?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit more confronting. I see what you mean. The emotion happens so fast that it's not really in your control where the thought, there's a bit more responsibility there, I feel. Yeah,
1: I completely agree. I feel like the pranayama acknowledges the emotion. So like somatically, when I feel tension in my body, when I feel tight in my body, then in order to attend to the emotion, I'm gonna use my pranayama, I'm gonna use my breath. And then from there, take it one step further, then you tend to the thought. What's the thought now that I have? So that's kind of the one, two step that I would go through it. So definitely addressing like how you said, addressing the emotion first, because that comes really loudly through the physical body, right? And then once you've calmed the physical body down, confronting, which is a really good term (laughs) in a loving way, through your breath. From that, like rest and digest center, the thought and doing that, cultivating that practice and accepting the thought over and over again will eventually change the thought you have itself, which will change the emotion over time. It is a
0: lifelong practice. It's not a five minute meditation and you're done.
1: (laughs) You can do a five minute or even two minute meditation. I always tell clients, set yourself up for success. Two minutes a day. You don't need to do more than that. And it's not about doing more and more. It's about doing less.
0: I just mean, it's not one and done. It's a practice over time.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Yeah. As someone who's hypersensitive, you know, we feel a lot often. (laughs) We feel a lot, a lot of times. Yes. That also makes me think I'm so glad that you're starting with the nervous system in that sense because of creating that base of safety, because going in the feminine, going into our emotions, confronting our thoughts, that could feel highly. Dangerous for a lack of a better word, especially if we've experienced trauma, small t or big t. I think we need to first create that foundation of feeling safe for sure. That is
1: number one. That's number one in order to be receptive. Because if you're experiencing high functioning anxiety or a lot of trauma as a result of your hypersensitivity being misunderstood, which I experienced that a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It didn't feel safe. That's why I was constantly in that fight or flight. It didn't feel safe to receive because the way that I was being perceived kept telling me that my emotions were a burden. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, beginning to guide yourself back to that state of security and safety through guiding, going th- through the body, through non performative practices, through an asana practice that still gives you agency through pranayama, and then do meditation to eventually cultivate that receptive state, it does require that you feel a level of safety and security first. That's initial. That's the first thing that has to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially when in society, feminine energy is not necessarily encouraged as much as masculine energy. Like It's easier to go into the masculine energy because it's rewarded in a more direct way than the feminine energy. hmm other than that, is there other misconception or obstacles that you see clients having when they try to go more into their feminine? What do they bump against? I
1: think some of the main things is the way femininity or divine femininity is showcased right now. Hmm. It's like there's multiple archetypes of the divine feminine. There's the warrioress, there's the lover, and we don't understand our divine feminine power, but everyone else around us does, especially men. Men completely know that. When they're in a place of divine feminine energy, it creates life. It creates life not only in the form of children, but it births life in all forms because divine feminine energy is creative. Yeah, it's creative. We're the vortex of creation. And... Because men know that, like they want divine feminine energy through a certain lens, which is very performative. And they're thinking about the physical naturally, but there's so many archetypes of the divine feminine. It doesn't have to only be perfect hair and lipstick and tight dresses. That's like one lens of it. And so I think that's the misconception. A tomboy could come in and be extremely feminine and be in her divine feminine way more than a woman who I see in a tight dress. With painted nails and makeup, yeah. Yeah, like has no idea of what her receptive power actually is or how to use it for herself. So I think that's the biggest misconception. That's why I really want to have more conversations about it because I think as women, that does us a disservice. The first place that the feminine energy your divine feminine energy should be utilized for yourself is because you are the vortex of creation. So you should be creating life or not should be. I invite you to start to create more life for yourself. And then as a result, that attracts a mate or a partner who mirrors that level of reception that you have for yourself first. Now, if you're utilizing it in the way To only get a man or to get a partner, you're not utilizing your power, your divine feminine power to the level that it could be utilized for you.
0: I mean, you're still in performance. Like you're using it to achieve a goal that's like very precise, right? That you value as like that means something about you. Like you're still in performance if that's why you're focusing on embodying more your feminine and that's going to block that energy.
1: Yeah, it's going to repel it or you're going to get or attract what you think you want and then the further along you might go along (laughs) it's not actually what you want your receptions to be for yourself like how do I learn how to deeply receive myself first Mm -hmm. I know that that can come through so many lens sometimes I'm a tomboy and I feel very feminine when I'm a tomboy sometimes I dress up and I feel very feminine receptive in that There's times where I felt very dressed up and I'm still repelling. I'm still resistant. I'm like, I don't want to talk to nobody. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's about like, let me, I always stay in the state of, like in the face of things that cause me to want to contract into resistance. Let me stay in my reception. That is divine feminine power.
0: Mm, Yeah. Again, it's about slowing down. Like you have to slow down to feel that difference in the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's why pranayama, like let me check in with my breath. How am I breathing? What am I somatically feeling? Where am I tight? Like you're receiving yourself in the moment. It's like emotional care for yourself moment by moment in the moment. Like no more bypassing, no more, no more dismissing myself. Like I'm gonna care for myself moment by moment by moment. Because I matter, I'm that important, and I'm that important to myself. And mm. I always say. The first thing you got to do is learn to submit to divine order and love. So divine order being God's love. So how do I love myself? How do I submit to divine order, to loving myself? Do I have a practice for loving myself or is it kind of intermittent or, you know, like really like how do I submit it to myself and love?
0: Wow. Yeah. That idea as simple as just receiving yourself and not, again, doing all of this as a way to please, you know, the masculine and like be in this dance with the masculine, just to receive yourself is quite potent to start with.
1: <laughs> it really, really is. And then if you attract a partner from that place, you will receive. You will receive them, you know, from this place of deep reception that you have within your own body and deep submission. Because one of the things we always cringe around submission and, you know, you submit to divine order, like that's God's love. So the first thing that I'm looking at, if I'm entertaining a partner or a man, like how do you submit to divine order? How do you love yourself? How is your life ordered in love? If it's not well ordered in love, then I don't have anything to submit to because there ain't no order here. I love that. Done. (laughs) Thank you very much. Those are just some tactical things. Definitely teach.
0: I love this conversation and I feel like we can talk way more, but we're going to start to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave this episode with today, what might that be?
1: I guess the one takeaway is to know that it's, being in your body is a safe place to be know that being in your body is a safe place to be it is it really
0: is yes i'm kind of giving people a second to take it in before i keep talking i will put all your info in the show notes obviously but in the meantime where's the best place for people to find you if they want to know what's going on in your world tell us a little bit where they can find you and what you're up to right now. If they want to work with you in some way, or they have more questions or anything like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm losing light here. You can definitely follow me on the gram at yoga by Biala. That's Y-O-G-A-B-Y-B-I-O-L-A. You can also use that same handle to subscribe to my YouTube channel. We got 30,000 subscribers there. And I have a plethora of non-performative yoga practices for all practice levels or all practice experiences. So if you want to practice with me or just hear what I have to say about more divine healing topics, you can follow me on YouTube and then on the gram. Then I do have my Divine Feminine Yoga Workshop. The wait list for cohort two is open and it will be open until November
0: 2nd. Perfect. So our listeners will have time to hop on if they want because the episode will be live already.
1: Oh, perfect. So it is for high achieving women of color. So if you're a high achieving woman of color experiencing high functioning anxiety, I definitely invite you to join the Divine Feminine Yoga Workshop. It's a six week group coaching program. And then lastly, if you want to become a certified non-performative yoga instructor, I invite you to head to my online yoga school on the gram, iya.well It's just I-Y-A dot W-E-L-L. The waitlist for our 200-hour yoga teacher training is open. It starts in March, and it goes from March 2024 to May 2024, so you have plenty of time to prepare if you would like to become a certified yoga instructor for deep nervous system regulation you can hop on the waitlist to join us there.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today in this lovely conversation. Yes, thank you so much. I'm
1: glad that we had some time to chat.
0: Me too. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, please leave a review for this episode of the podcast in general on iTunes. If this episode has helped you in any way, inspired you in any way, you can pass it on and help someone else or inspire them on their journey by leaving your review. Plus, when you leave a review to say thank you, I'll give you access to our premium podcast membership for free for a full month. All you have to do is send me a screenshot of your review and we'll get you all set up. You'll find the show notes for this episode at ericabelonga.com slash 199. And before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast and their support in making this possible. And this includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening and I'll see you next Monday with episode 200.